Hello, this is Olivia from the Ars9 podcast. As it's the holidays, Dr. Von Arbizet says I must do something nice for those less fortunate. I don't know who's less fortunate than me up here with these idiots, but whatever. So here I am doing this introduction for this podcast because poor Clarence and Lee have to listen to Kyle ramble on about singing rivers and musical ponds and something or the other. Anyway, here we go. The Discussing Network presents Discussing Who, a Doctor Who podcast. In this episode, the team reviews the classic fourth Doctor story, The Talons of Wen Shang. Talons? Is he a bird or, or, or something? Alarm. Oh dear, I have to go. Something Alarm. may happen to my darling Leet. Alarm. Kyle, I trust you Alarm. remember to buy Christmas gifts for the nine? Alarm. Best not forget the red sharpies Alarm. and cough syrup if I were you, mate. Not Alarm. a second time. To Alarm. anyone listening, I hope this is a good review. Alarm. But if these three Alarm. knuckleheads mess it up, Alarm. well, it's not my fault. Alarm. So in a holiday tradition, which is also our every week tradition, I will say, Lee Shackelford, how are you? Welcome back. Merry Christmas, happy seasons, and greetings, and all the good stuff. All the good stuff, Yeah. Um, as we're recording this, yesterday was, in fact, the winter solstice, and an extraordinary one because of the uh, apparent conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter, which has created what appears to be a new star in the sky. So, pretty amazing, amazing stuff if you care for that sort of thing. So, um, but yeah, I'm I'm happy as a clam. How about you? Mm-hmm. I can't complain. It's, you know, like you said, it's Christmas. You know, they should have aligned with Pluto, and then it could have been aligned with your Oz 9 character. Pluto? <laughs> yeah, but I'm good. I, I can't complain. I have a cup of coffee, even though my brain is a little rattled as usual. But hey, that's that's not anything new, I suppose. So let me just say, Clarence Brown. Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, season greetings. How are you? <laughs> Doing good. And it's funny, Alicia, to mention the the winter solstice. Ironically enough, black people across the world have chose chosen chose or made the choice to make the winter solstice their day. I won't go into details, but you can look it up on Twitter. Uh, black Twitter is pretty hilarious. But yeah, that that's a funny little thing that's been going on. The day we get superpowers, believe it or not. <laughs> cool. Uh, yeah, research on your own. I guess this isn't the place for it, really. But happy holidays to everyone that's listening. Uh, Doctor Who fans out there, uh, glad you could join us. Yeah. And if you're joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. You you certainly don't have to be doing this. And um, we, we appreciate your uh, checking us out. And we hope that we won't run you off this time. This this is, um, we're usually going through the new Who episode by episode, but uh, this is a holiday treat for me because I've been going on about the talons of Wing Chiang for a long time. And Kyle, in his infinite benevolence, said, you know what? For Christmas, we're going to do talons for Lee. So here we are. There we are. And we're literally, as of this recording, two to three days, you know, I hate math, but we're a couple of days away from Christmas and it's the 22nd. It's the 22nd. Yeah. You people figure it out. Fill in the blank. And it is a couple of days before Christmas and we're here. We're talking Doctor Who. So I agree with what you guys just said to everyone, whether you've been here for a long time or if this is your first, welcome. 
Happy holidays to you also. And anything happens from this point forward, it's not my fault. Right. It's the eggnog. It's the eggnog. Starts the really strong coffee. Yeah. So, gentlemen, news-wise, I only have one thing. And, Clarence, I think you may have something that ties into this. But about five minutes before we started recording, I saw something that was on Radio Times that is dated today. And it's a picture of Jack Harkness, Captain Jack, with a Dalek. But it's the gold Daleks from the first and second series of Doctor Who as 2005 forward. So it looks like we're going to be getting more than one version of Daleks. Thoughts, guys? Mm. Well, it won't be the first time because uh, the design of Daleks has always been in constant metamorphosis. So uh, sometimes when we've needed to bring out a whole bunch of them, the show has reached for all the ones they have on hand. And you and you get an, an interesting array of uh, different designs. So it would be interesting. I, I'm just I'm just glad that uh, to see uh, John Barrowman coming back to the show and uh, and they've darkened his hair back, which is yeah. nice. So uh, so he looks like because we know uh, Jack d- never changes. So that's <laughs> that's hard for the actor. <laughs> uh, we remember Brent Spiner having this challenge. <laughs> yeah. Once you committed to playing somebody who is supposed to never change. Uh, yeah. Yikes. And a bit of a pickle at that point. <laughs> yes, exactly. Speaking of pickled, he literally was kind of pickled considering how he ends up. No spoilers oh. there, but I guess, <laughs> you know, he does wind up a bit in a pickle or in a pickled state. I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you, sir. See, I told you, coffee. Also, speaking of the various uh, Dalek, Daleks that we had over the years, there has been a new iteration into the fold. If you have been perusing the Doctor Who YouTube channels, I think they also put it on their Instagram as well. But there is a Dalek called the Defense Drone, and they have a very Apple-esque product ad kind of up on their YouTube channel. So that's worth checking out. And the caption reads, the future is in safe hands. One one twenty one. So okay. let's see what go. happens. Yeah. So basically you're saying that the iPhones will eventually turn into Dallas yeah. <laughs> sometime in the future. Yeah. Those that aren't already. Yeah. Yeah. Aren't they already evil? That's yeah. all I'm saying. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well, as soon, maybe, you know what, I think there's a better chance instead of Daleks that we would go down the road of the Cyberman because I could see someone one day having, instead of an iPhone, an iMind, you know, Mm -hmm. I would have an iMind. But anyway, that being said, gentlemen, do we have any other festive or non-festive news before we move forward into our... Just a reminder that um, we have to get back uh, into safety the day after christmas because then the people of earth will start boxing yeah that is true (laughs) that is true Uh, speaking of holidays our friend nicole was supposed to be with us tonight but her scheduling could not allow her to be here so she sends warmest regards and all the happy holiday you know festive greetings but that being said if you want to hear Nicole in a festive mood, whether it's on Christmas or whether it's any other time, check out her podcast at Terminus, a Doctor Who podcast, where she is doing a series of episodes right now featuring all of the Doctor Who Christmas specials. So festive all around. That's right. I say. 
I'm sorry, Nicole isn't here because she and I represent the uh, the pro Philip Hinchcliffe era block and uh, on the show here. And I, I know that a lot of other fans of classic who consider this the 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 golden age, uh, the this even even just down to this season because um, it begins with Robots of Death, which I know is uh, Nicole's favorite. And the next episode after that, the next serial after that is Talons of Wing Chang, followed by Brain of Morbius. So boom. Wait, 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 wait. It- but but oh oh as in the one she likes yeah. is that what you're saying yes okay because right. I was thinking chronologically brain came before this no, right right yes but brain comes right after yes yeah no no it couldn't because uh, Sarah Jane oh, was in oh, brain oh, you're right you're right you're right no um, absolutely um, there's yeah well somebody help me look up the whole season then because I'm trying to think now what it is that I love that comes right after talents anyway carry on talk amongst yourselves. You, you've got me curious, and now I must know. Yeah. So, in the in the spirit of festivities, yes. we're going to actually look and or see. Uh, it would be survey says <laughs> bum bum bum. The next one up is the horror of Fane Rock. Fain, the horror of Fane yes. Rock. Yes. Not not necessarily one of my favorites, but it is a, a very interesting one um, in that, um, once again, uh, Leela is out of the uh, the Jungle Girl costume into something quite interesting. So, But you know what also is fun? The spoiler warning? Yes. And yes. in, in the spirit of keeping this spirit of Christmas going, I'm going to gift everyone by me saying, <laughs> if you have not seen... The Talons of Wang Chiang put us on pause. Go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. 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 So the holiday spoiler warning has gone out, and I am just like on a roll. And we are back to review this sixth-part story. This was the final story of the 14th season of Doctor Who, airing in six parts between the 26th of February and the 2nd of April, 1977. It starred Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor and Louise Jameson as Leela. So summary view and Clarence, I'm actually going to start with you. Summary view, <laughs> thoughts on this oh, episode? Oh man, I found it very interesting. I love some of the concepts in it. I thought some of the concepts were pretty, pretty, pretty um, awesome with this time cabinet. I enjoyed seeing Leela out of place a bit and maybe learning a few things while she's you know here. I thought all that was interesting. I also like. I keep saying left foot, but I think it's light foot very much. I think it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And I think they had a few pretty awesome set pieces. Um, The theater rafters was pretty awesome, as well as the inset piece with the the, um, dragon, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Don't say you don't want that that big dragon. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty awesome. I don't know where you'd put it, but, you know. So I, I do like a lot of those things. I do feel it went probably two episodes too long. Like I feel on most of these that are six, uh, it could have been much more tighter. I feel in in four, and plus you know of course the inherent problems that the episode has as far as the time it was made as well is something to think about. But overall, I think I enjoyed it. 
but I, I want to hear you guys' thoughts because, you know, uh, I'm still trying to process some of the things that happened. And I would yeah. love to get your point of view on some of these things in this episode. All right. So I want to actually go before Lee here because mm. I know, Lee, this is a favorite of yours. So I want to jump in real quick. But Clarence, I want to say real quick that some of the items that you brought up, I address and some of the things that we are going to talk about. And I think it will shed some light on the story because it did for me as I was making the notes. But that being said, this is one of the ones that I remember vaguely from watching it as a small child. I remember what I called the, you know, the toy dummy um, <laughs> from the, the, you know, the doll. I remember that from being a little kid and actually being scared of it. So that's kind of cool going back and watching this again. I also likewise remembered this as a story that everyone kind of has reverence for that I, that I remembered as a, Ooh, this is a cool Doctor Who story. That being said, while I didn't get bored, I almost felt like at times that it was Doctor Who featuring a spinoff to the adventures of Jago and Lightfoot. You know, that's kind of how I felt for a little bit, because if you look at how TV's done, you know, today, or especially in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, if you were doing a spinoff, the pilot episode was part of the main story in many cases. And that's kind of how I felt a little bit, not much, but a little bit with focusing so much on them. But that being said, I had fun. I enjoyed it. It was something that I didn't, like I said, get bored in. So I enjoyed it. Lee Shackelford. Oh, so you? much. So, you know, that's why it's a present to me that we're talking about it. But uh, I, I agree with everything that, bo that both of you are saying. Uh, in watching it again for the umpty ump time just now, I remembered that we got into episode five and I remembered feeling the same kind of sinking feeling that this should be the end. But I know that there's a lot more we haven't done yet. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't know if I would say it needs to be a four-parter, but it, but maybe that rare five-parter, because we do we are spinning our wheels right right when we don't need to be in episode five, and that's that's just that's just too bad I, I feel. But um, um, partly because um, and maybe this I could I can uh, blame the uh, the screenwriter for this because uh, this is a script by Robert Holmes, who is I think is you know the the great writer of a classic Who. But he kills off Lee Sin Chang. And once Lee Sin is out of the story, um, a lot of the a lot of the intrigue and mystery of, of the story evaporates, goes with him. His death is very interesting. But uh, I feel like that was a mistake. You know, um, then we just have Magnus Creel, who is a uh, kind of a um, mustache twirling villain with a snarly voice and you know, hidden face, which we've seen a million times in classic who. So that's kind of, that's kind of too bad, but um, uh, yeah, but there, there, there's just so much that I love about this, that it outweighs the things that I don't like about it. And I guess we, we really should talk about the, um, the elephant in the room, which is that from our point of view, um, looking back on this uh, from 1977, some of the racial stuff is horrifying. And, well, although watching it again, I was, noticing how often some of the things about the Chinese population in London are coming up there. I feel like the show is mocking the attitude that people really would have had in the 1880s or 1890s. 
when um, uh, Lee Sin Chang is on stage doing his magic trick, or he's trying to make the doctor disappear in the cabinet, and uh, he opens the cabinet. Of course, we've already seen the doctor walk right out of it. You know, <laughs> he turns to the audience with a big smile. He says, "Oh, little bird has flown. One of us is yellow," and gets a big laugh from yes. the audience. That's the kind of thing that a that a, a a Chinese performer performing on the the um the the penny farthing stage in London at the time. That's a joke they really would have made. A self-deprecating, you know, I know what you think of me. I'll make this joke kind of thing. Um, he's, he's Jang is the one who says, "I understand we all look alike," you know, and he's he's mocking them. Um, uh, and so uh, there there is that. But when Jago says, uh, you know, he's he's amazed that someone would be so you know, be so bold as to break into his own house. The doctor says, "Well, they were Chinese ruffians." I don't know how to excuse that one. I'm like, what? <laughs> Doctor. Yeah, yeah, that, that was pretty bad. <laughs> I was just going to bring up another one that jumped out as me. It's when they were fighting the, I don't think they were ninjas, but the kung fu fighters in the alley. Yeah. I think they said little, all these little men jumped me or something to that effect. Like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah, I guess objectively they were, I guess. Yeah. But yeah. I don't know. I, I did like the fact that we that they had the option to stage that fight so that Leela takes them all on, and she doesn't. They just immediately pin her down. <laughs> yeah, that's what would really happen. So let's yeah, <laughs> let's be serious about that. So because I'm old enough to remember the uh, the Batman uh, Green Hornet uh, crossover episode where Robin ended up fighting Kato, who was Bruce people Lee. my age remember Bruce Lee. Yeah, so Burt Ward is going to fight Bruce Lee. <laughs> And the way they played it, it comes to a a, a stand. It comes to a, a, a they call it a draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of what I thought about Leela fighting these these guys. I thought, boy, uh, yeah, <laughs> she's dead. Because I, I want to come back to talking about the controversy and the things we were just talking about. But I want to take us first back a little further to what you and the both of you said, and even I said it to some degree, talking about should it be a shorter serial, be it four, be it five. Let me ask you this. What about instead of a shorter serial, what about two? You have a four-part serial, and then you have a two-part follow-up serial. What about that? Yeah, you'd have to structure it completely differently, because... I think one of the reasons why this works as well as it does is because um, the, uh, Robert Holmes creates this um, this mystery. Where are these girls going and, you know, what's happening to them and what does what does Chang have to do with it? And is Mr. Sin really alive or not? Or, you know, and on and on. And as these questions get answered, they they follow each other along. It's like a burning fuse through it all. It's just that sometimes we feel like we're we're we're, we're about to watch the, the, the fuse sputter out a little bit. But I, I can't imagine breaking it up and it's still working. I don't, I don't know. But Well, let me tell you why I even posed that question. My research for this episode led me to a fact saying that Robert Holmes himself favored breaking this arc into a four-part episode story followed by a two-episode follow-up. The first would focus with uh, Lei Hissan. Lei Hsien Chang, and then the second would focus primarily on Grill and Mr. Sin, but would have a definitive break between and build between the two, but be two separate stories. Yeah, I'd like to know more about that. 
Yeah, that, and I found that interesting. Yeah, because in a way, it kind of is. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. It. I don't know. I think it should be together. It feel like it feels like it all goes together. I think the only problem for me is when you have these these arcs that are you know six episodes long and they're really connected by a cliffhanger most of the time. You're not, at least for me, it didn't feel like I was getting any true payoffs until the you really don't get that to the last episode for me for me mm-hmm. now <laughs> i know yeah. you could think of it differently uh maybe the cliffhanger is the payoff but you know to go six episodes it's 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 like you want some type of win before you get to the to the end of it and maybe we did get that in the form of you know information being being dulled out throughout the the six parter so i don't know i don't know i definitely don't think it should be broke up though Oh, interesting. Yeah. And, and I have read that, but I don't know if this is definitive or I haven't, you know, haven't heard anybody in authority at the show say this, but that this, that this was just as uh, Clarence said, a backdoor pilot for a, a, a series about Jago and Lightfoot. And it did work out that way many, many years later, thanks to Big Finish that they did the Adventures of Jago and Lightfoot. Yeah. But, but who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So I want to go back now to the controversy Mm -hmm. of what we were talking about. And I want to expand on it a little bit because really and truly, honestly, the first time I really thought of there being a quote unquote controversy with this story was when I started to watch the serial, maybe the weekend after Thanksgiving, I sat down and watched it in two sittings and BritBox carries this warning, and the warning says, contains stereotypes that some may find offensive. And I know we've hit on this a little bit, but my question to you guys is, does the fact that we find this as a population, as a society, offensive now, is this just another example of changing times where something is acceptable then and literally changes with the time. I don't know. Was it acceptable then? (laughs) Certainly it was different times, different standards, and probably more so a different audience that was the main focus of what they were gearing this for. So I'm pretty sure even at that time, showing it to certain people, they may have been offended by it. I'm sure. I don't know that to be fact. That's just me guessing there. But yeah, times do change, and I, I wouldn't say we have to totally add this as a part of council culture to say we're not going to show it. But I think they're doing the appropriate thing to say, okay, we 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 made this a while back, and some of the stuff in yeah. here may not be you know up to current twenty twenty standards. Right. But you Heads know, up. yeah, but it's a piece of history, and I do think history needs to be preserved, but it needs to be in its place and in the right context. And I think that's what they're doing here. Now, if they were just be like, you know, there's nothing wrong with this, you know, (laughs) it was perfect back then, it's perfect now, you know, that's not what they're doing. They're they're giving you a little context around what's going on. And I think it's fine in that aspect. Yeah. I really applaud them them doing that because um and and this if uh, Dave uh, our friend Dave Cooper uh, who we know saw these episodes when they were broadcast if uh, he hears this and can chime in I would love to hear if he remembers in 77 were there people who said wait a minute your lead chinese guy is being played by John Bennett really yeah. um the are, are you saying that there are no chinese actors who can play this role because we can name a few. 
I mean, I I, th- I think Bennett is great. And watching, you know, a lot of times watching classic Who, which was designed for a you know a much more lower resolution TV screen than the one we have now, very often you see things that are just kind of horrifying in terms of uh, makeup and special effects now that we're not seeing by the original audience. And I was watching this on my big HD TV this time and saying, his makeup is really good. Yeah, it, yeah, was. it was. It was. At least it isn't a lame attempt to make this British, to, to make this white guy, you know, Lee Sin Chang. Um, so so they, they're taking it seriously. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, just to interject, I think for me, the only thing that make that makes that feel weird is that don't we have other Chinese people in the episode? Well, exactly. It's like you, you can look at the episode and see that there are other Chinese actors working for the, yeah. at the BBC. So, yeah, you, you're saying that none of them could. Uh, so, yeah, to me, that's embarrassing that the decision got made that way. But if we want to go back to the changing of the times, we could yeah. be discussing Shakespeare and instead of discussing who, and we could be talking about all the men playing the female leads because we didn't have women in theater. Yeah. And I think, oh boy, and I teach theater history. I think James Robeson is the first black man to play Othello, a play that by that point was 400 years old, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, lots and lots of white guys playing Othello. Um, Yeah. So, right. You have to, yeah. And that, that doesn't make it right, of course, but it's just, um, I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah. What do you think? I, I would have, you know, I, I know we can't get this, but I would have loved to have known the perspective from a Chinese person watching this in a, in in the UK at this time. Exactly. Uh, it reminds me of a story of of somebody from Star Trek, uh, Garrett Wang, who played Harry Kim on Star Trek Voyager, and they reviewed the episode where one of the guest actors was someone who I think this was in the '80s. I can't remember the guy's name. But he did basically the same thing. He played a Chinese guy um, as a white man. He played a Chinese guy on a show, and Garrett Wang like hated the episode he was in. He didn't forgive him for it. Yeah. So uh, I would, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the perspective was of a Chinese person in the UK watching this at this time. Right. That's who I'd really like to hear from is 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 a, is a a person who was Chinese living in England at the time watching this in 1977. What did you think? Yeah. But um, Lee Sin Chang is is um, the way the character is designed. I mean, his appearance and his costume and everything, and his manner of speaking and so on. He's uh, pretty clearly supposed to be um, uh, Fu Manchu, who um, you know was a. a, a from a series of stories written by a fellow named Sax Romer around the turn of the last century. And those books were tremendously popular in America. And for a lot of people, they sort of cemented this idea of the, the yellow peril of the, the scheming Chinaman who has, you know, um, occult powers and knows things that, you know, have been forgotten in the West for a thousand years and, and so on and so forth. And, um, I've always admired the, um, the fellow who created, uh, Charlie Chan, because Chan was supposed to be the antidote to Fu Manchu. He's supposed to be the uh, uh, the quiet, unpretentious uh, Chinese detective who is the smartest person in the room, but won't come in and remind you of it. He'll just get about the job and solve the crime and uh, send the murderer to justice or whatever it is. But the Charlie Chan movies had three different white actors playing Charlie Chan. <laughs> So 
you know, mm-hmm. even the that good intent of the books gets gets ruined when you when you make the movies. And and there again, his he's always aided by number one son. Well, his his sons were played by people like uh, Key Luke and Benson Fong, and you know, excellent Chinese actors who are actually Chinese. <laughs> yeah, but they're there with these anyway. Yeah. And let me just add real quick. I think if they were to redo this today and they just say they still wanted a white man to be at least in Ching, I think yeah. they would have, like most of the other material we get from other properties, uh, they would have had a good story reason that he was white, but they wouldn't have tried to, of course, they wouldn't have tried to make him look Chinese, but they still could have had a white guy playing this same, a similar character for the story purposes, I feel. Well, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it wouldn't have fit the aesthetic that they were trying to create with with the story because it was intended at that time to be traditionally Chinese, you know. That, well, that's you know. it. The the part of what, for all its faults, part of what I love about this is that this is a melange of Sherlock Holmes, The Phantom of the Opera, and Fu Manchu. So uh, Robert Holmes takes those those things, stirs them all up together, and makes a Doctor Who out of them. So, yeah, it's got to have touches of Fu Manchu in it if you're going to do that, but... Um, yeah, it's just too bad. It's too damn bad. One thing I want to mention real, real quick before we move on, if I want to, cause I'm looking at it more, more so from a sense of change. And I keep going back to changing of the times and what's stuck in my head that's influencing that is I'm thinking back to the classic era episode that we reviewed from the second doctor quite recently in this past year where we did the Tomb of the Cybermen and we had this talk about uh, Toberman. And if I were to compare when that was created back in the 60s, Toberman would never have been a companion. It just wouldn't have happened back in the 60s because that was how television was in that time. Go to 2020, we're talking about a companion that, spoilers, is leaving in about a week's time on our screen, who has been a companion for the past two years, who is, of course, Ryan Sinclair. So, again, changing of the times. Yeah, and an East Asian woman, too. There you go. Exactly. All right, so we've talked about four versus six parts. We've talked about (laughs) the representation, the controversy, so let's go on and talk a little bit about the Doctor and Leela from, and we talked about Jago and Lightfoot a little bit, but let's talk about the Doctor and Leela. And Lee, I'll start with you. Overall thoughts of the Doctor and Leela in this story. Uh, this is my favorite Doctor and Leela story, uh, even above uh, Face of Evil. Um, they just get the most interesting things to do together. And, um, and, uh, you know, you know, because you were there, I've had the pleasure of saying to Elise that to Louise Jameson saying, I love this because you got to be Eliza Doolittle. Um, and that's, I guess, I guess Pygmalion is kind of tied up in the, into this mix too, because there is this, this sort of joke that, uh, Lightfoot is going to try to teach her 
the manners of a lady, <laughs> which love, is love, love that. Yeah, that great. It's, it's it is. It's just one of my favorite things about the episode. And after he gets her this uh, this stunning dress, which kind of to our surprise, she she enjoys wearing. But the next time we see her, she's sitting cross legged on 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 the table playing drafts with the doctor. I love that's not how you sit when you're wearing that dress. But she is. She's up there sitting on the table with, you know, and. Um, you know, and I, I, one of the reasons I love Lightfoot is that he is confronted with her eating with her hands and he thinks about it for a moment and then he joins in, you know? Yeah. He's just like, when in Rome, do as the Romans, you know? And I, I love that. A lot of people would, would handle that differently. So he's great. But of course, um, as a Sherlock Holmes fan, I love that this is uh, the doctor uh, with the Deerstalker and Inverness throughout. Although, like a lot of other people playing Holmes on the screen, he wears his Deerstalker in the house, which really nobody would do. You don't wear your hunting hat inside the house. But anyway, um, and he is not. Heads up for a trivia question. <laughs> no, I'm going to give you the answer. He's not wearing either of his trademark scarves. I know. Blasphemy. This is the only serial in which the doctor does not have either of the scarves. So there you are. But uh, uh, Leela is... When we first see her, she's actually dressed as a Victorian boy, which I think is hilarious. And we don't know exactly how she's done it, but she's got her Janus thorns with her, too. So <laughs> where she's keeping them, we don't know, but she's, she's got them handy. Um, so I, I just, yeah, I, I, I just love both of them in this. It's, it's great performances from both of them, I think. So as far as those two together, uh, we get we get some stuff. At the end, we get some stuff at Lightfoot's house and, of course, at the very beginning. But I, I do feel like it was an opportunity for Leela to to go out and do a lot on her own in this episode. Some very brilliant stuff, uh, mind you, in this episode that I was really impressed by as far as her sleuthiness, if that's a word, <laughs> of infiltrating the, the underground theater lair. I thought that was freaking amazing. And I was surprised that she did that. So and and I. You have to love, um, I was finna say she reminds me of Ace, but I guess Ace should remind me of her. <laughs> but she's just willing to get into anything, and, you know, that's just the type of person she is, um, never backing down. I love that, seeing seeing her portray that in this in this episode as well. In addition to the, the learning some, I guess, proper English manners in this episode as well, I thought that was brilliant. And, you know, overall, I... I I'm having trouble pull, pulling out, you know, what did the doctor do in this, this six-parter <laughs> that really jumped out at me? And eh, I guess some of his magic trick was, tricks he did was interesting. I was surprised by that because, you know, with the uh, the hip, hypnotizing that he did, I thought that was pretty brilliant. But other than that, it just felt like standard doctor. He definitely was, you know, a few steps ahead in some of the, some of the situations that we see in the six-parter. But overall, I really enjoyed him. But I think... I think my standout from the duo is going to be Leela. She was she was great. Wow, you know it's funny, but until you said that, I mean, I've I've known he's in it and I see him in it, but I've never had anyone frame it in that exact way. And what's cool about that is you're right. He doesn't yeah. have a lot of action points. It is more Jago Lightfoot and her. In many ways. It really is. It's it's a great point. I've never thought about it either. But it's it's not it's not so much the doctor's story, is it? He, he's always there and he's connecting the dots. He's yeah. being a detective. But they're moving the dots in place. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he does um, have the the daring um, boat ride into the sewers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, armed with this harquebus, which is, uh, you know, this giant gun. And I love he says it'll take a half hour to load, which is not far from the truth. <laughs> but, um, of course, as someone from Birmingham, Alabama, which was named for the the uh, the great uh, steel and iron capital in uh, in England Birmingham uh, that we both Birmingham's we're very proud of the things that we make that are metal in our cities so when uh, when uh, Lightfoot tells him that that gun is likely to explode <laughs> the doctor says explode unthinkable it's made in Birmingham and we say yeah <laughs> so speaking of the tunnels and Lee I'll yes. point this one to you what did you think of the tunnel scene Merry Christmas. You mean when she falls down and gets wet and we can see through her clothes? Uh, I, I just said Merry <laughs> um, Christmas. Exactly. Um, yeah, I didn't really give it any thought at all. Um, <laughs> I've already I've already thoroughly embarrassed myself in front of Louise Jameson bringing it up. So, yeah, we can. <laughs> I think I did. I mean, she was very cool about yes, it. Yes, she, she was. understood that that. Yeah, that they were asking her to do this kind of wet T-shirt moment, and it's part of the job. And you know, so she just did it, and and that really, uh, as I told her that as a, as a grown-up now, I, I look at that and I think there's electrical cables running through this water. I know how movie sets work. I mean, and she's saying, yeah, and don't forget the fog, which is being produced by this this fog machine, which really it, it's it's droplets of oil, and that she's sick. So, and she's she's already sick. Yeah, she's already got something like the flu. And this stuff is burning her eyes so badly she can barely see. And they want her to fall on her face while this giant puppet of a rat is pretending to, to gnaw on her. Yeah, she's got to fall down in the water. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, this was not one of her favorite things to do. But, um, yeah. But she did enjoy uh, all the dress-up stuff and the, you know... Uh, getting to getting to sit on the table and uh, eat with her hands and stuff like that. So here is something that I did not know. And I'm curious, and Lee, since you're such a fan of this era, I'm going to point this to you to see if you are familiar with this. But I did not know that originally she was set to depart at the end of series 14. And that there was some, I don't want to say animosity, but some distance between her and Tom Baker that he did not apparently like the direction for her character, but that they convinced her to stay by agreeing to not require her to wear brown contacts. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And she's talked about this some. And um, back in the day, Tom talked about it. He doesn't talk about it anymore. But um, other people who are working on the show I've, I've, I've talked about it since too, but yeah, they're saying she had a, a lot of asks, a lot of complaints that um, she has blue eyes, beautiful blue eyes. And somebody decided early on that Leela the Jungle Girl wouldn't have blue eyes. So they made her wear these brown contact lenses and she she has sensitive eyes, which is why the, the fog in that, that scene was, was killing her uh, with her brown contact lenses in. She knew she was being cast as kind of the pinup girl, but having to walk around kind of half naked, um, it, it, it costs you something. <laughs> it, it, it was wearing her down. And, um, and at that time, as I understand it, um, and see, Clarence put his finger right on this. The, Tom was starting to feel like it was not Doctor Who anymore. It was the Doctor and his companion. 
And this episode might have really sent him right over the edge because <laughs> she's the one who gets all the interesting things to do in this episode. Yeah. And and he was he was getting a little tired of that. I think they were both kind of going to the bosses and saying, do we have to so much do the with the this? And is there a way we can change that thing? So so yeah, in this episode, she's not wearing the skins. In the next one, she gets to to dress like somebody from uh Edwardian England, I think. And uh, there's a miracle at the end of Horror of Fang Rock, which changes her eye color from brown to blue. Amazing. Yeah. And uh, and then she leaves the series. And uh, and yeah, and, and that's the time which Tom was saying, seriously, I have the dog. Is there any reason why when I have to talk to somebody, I can't talk to the dog? There you go. And the rest of the time, I don't need to talk, have somebody else to talk. But then, you know, that sounds like he's being petulant and, and a crybaby and, and uh, all the things you can say about actors who are working their their uh, hearts out to, to do the show and to do it well. But think how long he stays with the show after that. True, true. So it's not like he's, you know, saying, you know, do it my way or I'll walk. He's just asking. Um, well, maybe he needed a companion that didn't talk. Maybe a <laughs> companion like... Mr. Sin, perhaps? <laughs> yeah. And well, of course, what they gave him is, is one who's smarter than he is. And <laughs> so let me but, say yeah. this about Mr. Yeah, Sin. Get back to Mr. Sin, yes. So Mr. Sin, which I really, 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 really like, even though it scared me as a kid, finding out that he has the cerebral cortex of a pig, I thought that was so freaking cool. Yes. This, this show's fascination with pigs continues to this day yes so clarence what do you think of or what did, did you think of mr sin <laughs> yes well um the peking homunculus yeah now what i did know about him i guess i found out in the credits he's played by deep roy i guess mm -hmm. is the guy's name so yeah, i think i've actually roy. seen a dude at a convention before we have, so. i've well, you wrote have, that yeah. down because that that was like oh i've got to i can't wait to tell clarence this so i'm so glad you saw that yeah, yeah. and i think I think he's he's been on Star Trek too as well. Um, yes, and um, and of course, um, oh, God, I mean, just just yeah, people look him up if you don't know Deep Roy. Look at him on uh, IMDb because he has been in everything. The Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi. He was in Wes Craven's New Nightmare, The Dark Crystal, Hook, Transformers, Revenge of the Fallen, Star Trek Into Darkness, Star Trek Beyond, and many, 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 many more. Yes. Yeah. The closest I think you get to, to seeing his face where he's not wearing a some kind of a costume or a mask is in. Um, uh, oh, I just suddenly drew uh, in a, a Flash Gordon, um, the, 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 the Flash Gordon film from the 70s with the Brian Blessed. Oh. Um, huh. So he's he's in that and uh, not doing anything particularly rewarding. But um, anyway, what was I about to say about Deep Roy that I thought was interesting? Oh, and in um, um, the uh, Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. He is the Oompa Loompas. All of them. <laughs> that is funny. All the Oompa Loompas. Yes. But wow, anyway. I didn't know he was all of do. them. Seemed like I had, had heard that somewhere, too. That's yeah. amazing. But, but what a yeah. career. What an amazing yeah. career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then in this episode, I think the cool thing with Sin is that they do this trick. And uh, I, it seemed like this has been used in horror stuff before. I mean, after or either before this. But... Um, having this doll that you know, he's he's apparently using at, at, with ventriloquy, but uh, turns out this thing is real and has a mind of his own. I didn't catch the thing about the pig brain, so thank you for pointing that out. 
But yeah, that's extra creepy of this doll that can move and has a mind of his own is is just trying to kill them at the end of the episode uh has gone rogue in a sense right yeah, yeah. and just laughing the whole time it's one of my favorite things about this whole serial yeah. and of course magnus grills are saying stop you fool <laughs> it's too late He's just, <laughs> yeah you let him loose you let him out the cage <laughs> that's it kills everybody so I'm going to let you guys in on a little secret from my childhood. If, if you guys haven't figured out yet that I have a very vivid imagination. And back then, back in the day, I was easily impressed or very naive or whatever you want to call. It. And heck, I was only four, five, six, seven years old. That being said, I would see something off of TV. And if it was magic on TV, I thought it was real, and I would try to recreate that. So in about 78, 79, 80, I wanted for Christmas a ventriloquist doll, for which I got a Mo from um, the Three Stooges for Christmas or birthday, and I got a Charlie Chaplin for Christmas or birthday. I'm not sure which, but they were both influenced by Mr. Sam. About that. And, you know, about the same time, I was getting one called Willie Talk and um, kind of a popular toy at the time. But he was a, he was kind of a, a life size, you know, like a, like a toddler. And, um, yeah, it was a, it was a pretty good puppet, actually. But, um, yeah, I don't know if that got started because of Mr. Sin or, <laughs> or why I wanted Willie Talk. Well, but, I'm uh, pretty sure you know. there would be no other reason if, if based on this coming out in 77, knowing how old I would have been four years old and knowing within the next two years that I had two uh, dummies and I was a big fan of Doctor Who back then, you know, fill in the blanks is I'm going to assume that's true. So you're still in the market for Mr. Sin uh, ventriloquist dummy. then. <laughs> no, it's too creepy. I don't I wouldn't want okay, to wake yeah. up and seeing that thing staring right. at you. Especially, yeah. <laughs> you especially don't want the living one. There you go. But considering a trope that we see here that is often repeated in Doctor Who, which is the mask bad guy that then is revealed to be a grotesque bad guy, Magnus Grill. So, Lee, why don't you go first this time? Magnus Grill. Thoughts? Yeah. One of the gifts that Robert Holmes gives us with this script is in is introducing to the Doctor Who canon the significant events of the 51st century on Earth, which is eventually going to lead us to Captain Jack and River Song and uh, a whole host that we keep coming back to all the things that happened in the 51st century, which, of course, is 100 years. But, you know, apparently the world is a very different place. And uh, one of the people making it a miserable place is Magnus Greel, who, who thinks he's figured out how to travel through time. Yeah. Um, and in a way, that seems like a contradiction, uh, even inside the episode. And I didn't think about this until this time. But if he's the first one to do it and it didn't quite work, which is why Leela calls him bent face, he says uh, he's surprised that the doctor doesn't know who he is. Because he says a time agent would know. So mm. this script also introduces us to the concept of time agents, which, again, is going to point us right to Captain Jack. Captain Jack, yeah. And and considering the fact that this is going out at Christmas and we have New Year's episode a week later. 
that we will have Captain Jack and the Doctor is in, if correct me if I'm wrong here, in jail in the 51st century. Exactly. So I just I just thought this I love how this is lining up. This is great. And I had forgotten until watching it again this time that Magnus Greel says time agents. And he knows the doctor isn't one, but he's obviously somebody who knows the future, so he can't figure that out. But yeah, if he's sort of in if if he's done the the Zigma experiments, whatever those are, and and that has resulted in time travel, then what the heck are time agents? Because apparently they have the um What's the wrist-worn device that uh, River has? Um, the vortex, the, the vortex manipulator. Yeah. Vortex manipulator, yeah. So, uh, you know, but it's 100 years. Somebody else is working on a different idea. Zygma experiment, not so good. Vortex manipulator, that's going to work if you if you have the, the unlock code for it. There you go. But, well, who knows? That's not what causes Jack to eventually go <laughs> well, uh, face up. <laughs> you know, the doctor themselves also makes a statement about that being such a, I think he says one time, it's a nasty form of time travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't recommend it. So are we to believe the Time Lords and uh, Magnus Grill's development of time travel technology was just in in parallel from different locations or points in time? Or or, or does the, the Time Lords technology is just totally different? Apparently, and I think from our perspective, the Time Lords perfected time travel millennia ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Huh. Mm. But behind the scenes perspective if we were looking at it from that perspective not from the viewer's perspective perhaps that this story in one of its incarnations as the writing process happened magnus grill was going to be a disguise for none other than the master but since they had already done that in a previous story they didn't want to do that twice and i think the same season yes uh, yeah, that's that. That was the surprise. At the end of Deadly Assassin, and because he is he's dying in Deadly Assassin, he's run out of regenerations. This whole story about what Magnus Greel is up to with uh, kidnapping these girls and trying to you know revivify his his failing body, that all made sense. So that's what's left over from the idea of him being the master and calling it a time cabinet and calling it the time cabinet, right? But, uh, yeah, it's the kind of thing where you go into the script and you make a few pencil notes and you say, well, let's call it a time cabinet. And now he's somebody else and he's from the 51st century. And, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, and there you've got a new character and you're ready to go. Yeah, I mean, Magnus Greel with his, with his mask uh, uh, pulled open is no less horrifying than the master was in The Deadly Assassin. <laughs> so it, it, it does all tie together. Uh, while we're talking about Magnus Greel, I have to say that one of my favorite things in this episode is since we don't know anything solid about what in the world is going on on earth in the 51st century i just love that robert holmes reaches for other countries that aren't usually involved in our global wars you know he didn't want to say this is a conflict between china and the u.s or russia and you know so uh, the doctor challenges Greel. You know, Greel says, you don't even know who I am. The doctor says, I was with the Filipino army at the final advance on Reykjavik. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Okay. So, wow. <laughs> so the Filipino army was in Iceland and that was the big push. Okay. Wow. All right. <laughs> you know, interesting. Let me, let me mention this real quick before we move on. Ooh. Something with Jago and Lightfoot that I wanted to mention. We talked about big finish, 
I counted because uh, I was curious to see how many series or one shots or whatever they had from Big Finish. I counted 13 audio series that they've been in, and there's more that was not in their series, one of which really caught my attention. It was, I can't remember the exact title of it, but it was basically the, and I'm paraphrasing here, The Adventures of Jago, Lightfoot, and Strax. Because, <laughs> I mean, it was like, oh, wow, yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah well, they're all Strax. Recorded. Yeah, right. Why not? Why yeah, not? and um, Christopher Benjamin is uh, who's uh, Henry Gordon Jago. He's still with us, and we saw him in uh, the Unicorn and the Wasp. So it was good to see him uh, turn up on Doctor Who again. And Trevor Baxter had a great long career on stage and screen, and he passed in 2017. So I'm afraid that's the end for the two of them being Jago and Lightfoot. But they they had a good run together, and. Um, I hope we can say more about uh, both of those characters because I love them so much. And uh, you're completely right. They dominate the episode, but, you know, I've never complained about it. <laughs> Before we move on, let mm. me ask you, Lee, do you have any other things about Jago and Lightfoot that you would like to bring up before we start to wrap? I, I love part of what I love about Talons of Wing Chang, about this this script is Henry Gordon Jago. I, like I like I commented to you the other day i think he's the greatest dickensian character who was not created by charles dickens this idea of this man with this marvelous vocabulary and he's not just putting out words randomly he knows what they mean so you get the feeling this is a man with a, a um a quality education that he got from somewhere but now he's running this kind of on not low class but it's um <laughs> sketchy it's, it's, at best it's a little sketchy uh yeah it's 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 not the palace and um yeah with with, with that pompous grandeur of uh that's that is often a, a trademark of the dickens characters but i just, just i love to hear him talk and of course he's a uh, miles gloriosus uh, that's a you know a, a character type in uh in uh in comedy very often who is the that means the braggart soldier you know he's the one who says well just point me at him and i'll take care of them and so on and then he's going to turn and run when the moment comes uh <laughs> and jago actually in episode six he he confesses that he's not a courageous man to lightfoot and uh lightfoot is the one who bucks him up and says you know i yeah. I, I, I think there's probably more to you than you give yourself credit for. I think, you know, you, you, you'll do what needs to be done. And he does. He does. Maybe because that's the first person who's ever said that to him. But um, they're fun together because they are as different as different could be. The Lightfoot is cultured and a little shy, you know, and very mannered and is uh, dapper. And again, because this, this is a Victorian story, for Sherlock Holmes fans, we have to love the fact that apparently uh, Lightfoot's housekeeper or landlady is Mrs. Hudson. That detail is not lost on us. But um, yeah, I just I just love the two of them together. They they're they're both being played by great actors. They've got a great script to work with, and um, then they just run with it, and it's it's just a delight. Uh, when we talk about favorite scenes and favorite lines, of course, I'll come back to Jaco. I promise you. All right. So, yeah. So, Clarence, do you have anything else that you would like to bring up, either about Jago and Lightfoot or any other story points in the story? Uh, I love the mention of, I don't know if Wing Chang is a real uh, Chinese god or not, but they kind of use it as, I guess, the entry point for... What's his name? Man Manga's Grill to gain power. I think that's kind of how they were 
framing it in the story, if if I'm reading that correctly. Yeah. Which I which I thought was pretty interesting. I thought that was cool. And they mentioned that he's the god of abundance and makes things grow. So we didn't mention the giant rats yet. Um, yeah. I found it very interesting. I thought they weren't going to really give us any real action with it because they kind of show it, you know, at first creeping through the bars and then they go, we go through the sewer, we see Leela, you know, in that moment that we talked about earlier, but I thought we'd be done with it. But lo and behold, uh, Lee Sin Chang, he, he meets his maker because of one of these rats. So I really, I really like that they brought that. They didn't let that go, and they brought that back. And unfortunately for 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 Chang, that's how he 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 passes along. But I thought that was interesting. Now, also, I didn't really get why Mangus Krill needed women for his energy blood thing. I don't quite understand that. They did a lot of Doctor Who babble there that I didn't quite understand. <laughs> but. But we had a bunch. Yeah. He was he was luring women down into his chamber to use their life force energy to keep him alive. Is what I'm assuming. Yeah, I didn't really quite understand why it was all women, but you know, interesting enough. And some of the parts were creepy, especially when he would. He, they showed the one scene where he approaches the the woman, hypnotizes her, it brings her back to his lair. I'm like, man, this is so creepy. Yeah, <laughs> and takes her clothes off. Yes. Oh boy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's it's all kinds of wrong. <laughs> it's just, yeah. But you know, in the end, though, I really liked his character, uh, at least in Shane, because at first it comes off as he is, you know, the first couple of episodes, you think he is the head honcho running this, and you know, he is the devious, the big bad of the episode. But it turns out, no, nah, he's he's working for somebody a little bit more sinister, and he's just a pawn in the game, you know. Uh, he's worshiping his God. I, yeah. I mean, he 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 tells the doctor the story of how he first uh, saw him. And yeah, what is he supposed to think? And he's just doing what he feels, you know, that, that's that's when I, I really I feel sad. I think, oh, <laughs> no, that's not what happened. But I understand that's why it seemed that way to you. But yeah, his, his uh, God was really just a man from the future, you know. Right. Uh, which uh, I want to wanted to mention this before, but it reminds me a lot of Stargate. If you've ever seen Stargate, uh, most of the the gods and stuff that the Egyptian gods that are in that that series and that universe are really just aliens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so parasitic aliens at that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it kind of reminded me of that as well in this story. But yeah, I, I, overall, you know, I think that might be all I have. Uh, oh, I love Krill's mask. I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> I thought that was pretty, pretty wonderful to, especially when it got ripped off. His whole costume was pretty grand, I would say. And you know, again, I mentioned it up top, up top, but that last set piece, I thought was really fantastic, really fantastic. So yeah, that has to be applauded a bit. Yeah, yeah. The the the, the set and costume design for this whole serial is just. Yeah. It's one of the things that why people point to this as being one of the the high spots of classic Who. I think it's just what it looks like. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are, of course, streets of modern London that we're pretending are streets in uh, Victorian London, and um, you know they just um, the BBC just you know told people to you know get their cars off the road because we're going <laughs> to be filming a Doctor Who, but it's a cobblestone street. And um, I learned from the DVD of Talons of Wing Chiang that in one of those streets where there there's a, a, a horse-drawn carriage going by of cabby and there's this giant bale of hay on the street which i guess happened even 
in this part of London at some time. You know, you feed the horses and so on. Yeah. But the reason it's there is because somebody didn't move their car. <laughs> Love that. Isn't that great? Yeah. And speaking of the sets, some of the producers, I think, knew that they were not coming back for the next series. So this is the end of series season 14. The, you know, season 15 is coming. So they just used their budget. There wasn't any cutting of the corners because well, let's go out with a bang. That's a good point. Yeah, I think it shows. Yeah, there. Uh, that theater that we we spent some time up in the up in the fly lines that is a real place and i looked it up but um i don't know if it's still there or not but um i don't know if you've ever been up in the fly lines of a of a of working theater like that but um that's kind of scary up there and i can't figure out where the camera is sometimes you know what i mean <laughs> it's like where where are they standing to shoot this so but yeah that's a that's a very exciting thing to and, me, and the I, fact that yeah. you have your background and mm-hmm. you can't see that or you can't tell where it's coming from to me right. as someone that doesn't have your background says they did a good job if you can't figure it out yeah 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 it's <laughs> it's a very good effect it just feels like the camera's floating in the air so we can see somebody take a tumble from the fly line down to the stage which can be fatal i have to assume that's good old <laughs> classic who stuntman stuart fell who who is <laughs> Stuart Fell was wore just about everybody's costume at one time or another and took these tumbles. I've always loved that his name is Fell. That's what I was fixing to say. Yeah, but uh, yeah, um, that's probably Stuart Fell wearing Tom Baker's costume going down the, the drop, but um, it's amazing. Well, you know, what wouldn't be appropriate if I, since I've already said, is there anything else? It wouldn't be a holiday episode of Discussing Who if I didn't get to say to you guys, Favorite scene. What's your favorite scene? Clarence Brown, Start with, starting with you. Favorite scene. Well, now that I know they're called the fly lines, um, my favorite scene would be in the fly lines when um, I guess it was, was it, was it Mangus? I can't remember who it was that like um, did the yeah. whole swing across yeah. the the, the, yeah. the fly lines there. Yeah. Yeah. I had to think about it too, but it is. It's Creel. Uh, yeah. And uh, and again, probably Stuart fell uh, actually swinging on that rope wearing Magnus's costume. But, yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty yeah, thrilling to see. Scene. Yeah, yeah, I really love that. That guy my blood pumping. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right, Lee. Favorite scene? Boy, there's so many. I I, I guess it's got to be the big finish with the um, <laughs> the peaking homunculus shooting at everybody with the <laughs> eyes of the dragon. <laughs> Greel screaming at him to stop, and uh, and the and our four heroes hiding behind the table that's getting whittled down as they're hiding behind it. Yeah, yeah, that's just uh, it's just a whole wonderful sequence. It is Leela that goes for the gun. Yep, yep. And then she doesn't know left out. (laughs) Well, right, yeah, but yeah, and then sort of shoots it, you know, at the ground because she doesn't know how it works. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yeah, that was pretty bad. never shot one of these things. <laughs> My favorite scene, Lee, I promise you, I'm not repeating you, even though I am. Ooh. I lo- loved <laughs> Mr. Sand shooting from, because uh, the, 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 even though you couldn't see the way they shot that, even though you couldn't see his face move, you just knew from the way they shot it 
that this brain that's so so small was kill 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 kill. Yeah, he thinks it's fun. Very yeah, deep, deep Roy gets one of the best lines of the show. Actually, he says, <laughs> he, "He says what?" <laughs> so, so I'm going to ask you to do that one more time, but not yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So my favorite quote from from this story is my favorite quote, Lee. If you would, my favorite quote is Lee. If you would. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite quote. Uh, so pretty good. <laughs> Clarence Brown, favorite quote. Uh, since was, this is a six-parter, I have a couple and hope I don't stomp on anybody else's. Um, the first one would be words of wisdom from uh, Alicia and Chang. Uh, Man who goes too quickly may step in a bad trap. thought that felt very zen. Yep. yep. And, and the other is one that I... I guess is how it's said in the UK, uh, but I'm used to the way it's said in America. But the policeman says, "Well, if that don't take the biscuit, but but we say if that don't take the cake, I believe." Yeah, what we said that's over right. Here. So I thought that was pretty interesting as well. <laughs> that don't take the biscuit. <laughs> Lee, favorite quote. I want to mention very quickly that when uh, the police make the doctor turn out his pockets, that one of the things he has is a toy Batmobile. I missed that. I did too. Yeah, go back and look at that again. Yeah, yeah. He's got a 1966. Yeah, he's got. He has a Batmobile. Batman um, is canon. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> well, at least, at least the doctor's seeing the TV series <laughs> anyway, <laughs> or he didn't know what it was. Yeah, uh, uh, like Clarence, several favorite lines. I've been saying sleep is for tortoises for years, and I'd forgotten that that comes from Talons of Wing Chiang. Um, do you know? Do you know the uh, the quip of? Um, Victorian actress, um, uh, Mrs. Patrick Campbell, they called her Mrs. Pat, um, that she was talking, I, I, I think, about um, the fact that it was uh, still a, 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 a punishable crime in the UK to be homosexual. And uh, she, her, her quip about that was, uh, I don't care what people do in their bedrooms as long as they don't do it in the street and frighten the horses. Which <laughs> um, is such a weird thing to say. But when the when the doctor and Leela arrive, she says, uh, why do I have to wear these clothes? And he says, well, you can't wear skins here. You'll frighten the horses. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't quite know what the connection is. He also very glibly throws off at one point that uh, Eureka is Greek for this bath is too hot. Which, yeah, that <laughs> confused me. Uh, well, you know, you, you know why we still say Eureka, meaning I've got it. Because the the Greek scientist Archimedes, he 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 was tasked with the problem of trying to figure out if the king's crown had the correct amount of gold in it that had been promised, and it still it weighed the same. But he needed to figure out how to figure out what materials were in it. And when he got into his bathtub, he watched the way the water moved around his body, and he said, "Eureka!" Meaning, I've got it, because different masses displace water different. So you could submerge the crown and and have a better idea. Of, of what was in it. So that was his solution to that problem. But and, and so the story goes that he was so excited by this that he jumped out of the bathtub and went running around town saying Eureka, apparently still still naked, but you know, <laughs> it's ancient Greece, who would have known? But so so the doctor says Eureka is Greek for this bath is too hot. 
Oh. That's why Archimedes is running around, but it's that's not why. But anyway. But at least but he didn't some, scare the horses. He didn't scare the horses, right? <laughs> but uh, so here's here's another thing about that, though, is that uh, on IMDb, somebody has uh, tagged that line as being a goof. The doctor says Eureka is Greek for this bath is too hot, and it isn't. And I don't know what to do except to comment on their comment and say, it's a joke. <laughs> There's deeper I, I meaning there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody thinks that Eureka really means this bath is too... Maybe... <laughs> Never mind. Well, maybe <laughs> it was one of those words that the doctor said that people didn't catch on, you know, because people do get words from him, you know. Yes, they do. Like like doctor. Like doctor. The word for healer. But, yes. And wise man <laughs> throughout the universe. Or a warrior. <laughs> well, okay. Okay. Before you start quoting again, here's mine. And this again works out nicely because you were you were quoting extensively from an episode you know by heart. Here is the speech from Towns of Wing Chiang that I accidentally committed to memory years ago when you know that I, I produced a, a festival of short plays for 16 years. I did this in, and I always thought of it as my baby. You know, I wasn't in it or anything, but you know, when, as the shows were starting, I would always be standing out in the lobby, you know, kind of rubbing my hands together and so on. And uh, if anybody would listen to me, I would say every night at this time, I feel like an old war horse scenting the smoke of the battlefield. As the house fills, the blood starts tingling through my veins. My public is out there waiting for me. <laughs> and what what I never got was somebody who would say, but you don't do anything. <laughs> I take the tickets, my boy. <laughs> but anyway, but yeah, I, I've always loved that little speech of Jago's because I thought I felt that way. I know what you're talking about. Anyway, the blood starts tingling through my veins. So yeah, obviously that's my favorite line in this episode. Just real quick before we do the, the final ratings. Mm. Um, real quick, we had the tongue of the scorpion, which is basically was a suicide pill or crystal or whatever it was yeah. i thought that was pretty the, interesting the tongue of the black scorpion. yeah <laughs> yeah and we saw it twice uh, uh lee sin cheng has got them in his ring yeah. so he and he and he gives one to the actual chinese actor <laughs> <laughs> and then he he tries to take one himself and the doctor slaps it out of his hand yeah but yeah so he he's 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 ready at any moment yeah it's the implication of that is kind of amazing yeah or the, or, 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 but you think he should have took it? Well, you think he would have took it after getting mauled by the giant rat, though, if he still had one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was, yeah. The doctor ruined his uh, his supply of scorpion venom. <laughs> anyway, final rating one to five, and I'm going to start out because I was I would probably give it a four, but I have had so much fun listening to Lee <laughs> gush about this episode. Yeah. I'm going to give it a five. I, I I enjoyed watching it, but I think I had more joy in listening to you talk about it. I mean, I've listened to you both, but specifically, Lee, listening to your just elation that I can hear in your voice. I'm going to give it a five. So Clarence Brown, what say you? I will give it 4.2 time cabinets out of five. Oh. Yeah, I, I really liked it. I just feel like it drawn on just a little bit too long yeah. for me. I, I need to amend mine since I didn't give it to anything. I will say five elated Lee Shackelfords out of five. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's four more than the law will allow, but yeah. <laughs> I make my own laws on this show. <laughs> yes, you do. 
That's good. <laughs> so, Merry Christmas, Lee. What's Thank yours? You. Oh, I've been thinking about this since so you knew I was ready. I'm going to give it five aces of diamonds with a diamond shot out of them card. <laughs> it's beautiful. But my deck has five in it. Awesome. 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 All right. So before people start thinking that I am a few cards short of a full deck, I am going to ask you guys, instead of saying, where else can we be found on the internet? Let's give the gift of either something we're watching, something that we're listening to, or something, anything. So before we're gone, what kind of gifts could we give our listeners of things that you find enjoyable that they might could also? And Clarence, I'll start with you. I think you have to, if you know, if you're a Star Wars fan, you definitely have to be checking out the Mandalorian season two finale, which just aired a few days back. Very enjoyable. Well, that was no, going to be mine. <laughs> no spoilers here, but you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's it for me. What about you guys? That was going to be mine. Now I got to think of something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, 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 you know what I started doing finally is watching in sequence uh, Star Trek Continues. Um, ah. And, you know, I have had the the thrill of getting to walk around on that set where they rebuilt down to the tiniest detail, the original Star Trek sets. And, uh, yeah, it's um, if you haven't seen those, I, 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 I just can't recommend them highly enough. The love that goes into every detail of what the show looks and sounds like. Um, you just have to get past your idea of who the actors are and accept that. Yeah, this is Dr. McCoy. Okay. Yeah. This, this looks, this guy looks <laughs> nothing like DeForest Kelly. Okay. Yeah. Just move on. <laughs> um, but now that we've had two Captain Pikes, for example, you know, um, it, it, I think it gets easier as uh, Trek Cannon goes along. I think, uh, it's easier for we've seen a lot more Vulcans now. We can accept another actor. Well, we, we've seen another actor playing Mr. Spock uh, now, yeah. and I'm not even talking about in the JJ verse. So, um, yeah, it's a uh, if you uh, love the original series as much as I do, I think you really, really love the Vic Mignogna's big love letter, his big expensive love letter to the original series. Star Trek continues available on YouTube. Yeah, and, for and real quick. Uh, ripped. Uh, um, a rest in peace. Excuse me to to Grant uh, um, Imahara. If I'm saying Grant Imahara, that's right. Yeah, yeah, he he unfortunately passed away this year. So that's right. Um, you know, rest in peace to him. And yeah. you know, I haven't seen all of these. I need to go back and watch all of them. Lee, I I was watching them as they were doing them, and mm -hmm. they were still making them. So right. so at some point, I just stopped watching because you know there was new new shows yet to be made. So I need to go back and and finish yeah. up. Well, the, the final two-parter I got to watch with Vic and, uh, oh. yeah. And, um, and a lot of the other uh, members of the, the cast and crew. And, uh, that two-parter is a, just a brilliant idea. There's just things in it where you, you'll say, oh, that is, I, I never thought of that. That's, that is so cool. Okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just full of little things like that. And of course my friend, uh, Sarai, uh, is in one of them and I haven't seen the one that she's in. So, yeah. Uh -huh. Got to huh. catch up on these. Got to get caught up on them. Anyway, Star Trek continues. That's my, my, my Xmas gift. Something that you can listen and watch with your family. And if you don't and your children don't approve, it's not my fault. But 
for the sake of it's the holiday season and I love this show and, you know, I want to make sure that they are all on my Christmas list. So I'm going to say, everyone, go and watch, listen, whatever, Oz9, uh, however you can watch it, listen, whatever. You can't watch it, but you could watch it if you put it on your TV well, and whatever. Well, there, there's, there is talk of a comic strip or comic book. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> Oz nine coming to the comics. I didn't it's, know if I could say that yet or not. So since you said yeah. it, 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 well, it, I'm saying there's talk. If, well, if it wasn't one more time, I have to say it. It's not my fault. <laughs> yeah, right. I also say something. And you know, you you remind me too that I'm overlooking the freaking obvious here. That since we were on last, I made the command decision because there was nobody who was going to stop me to cut out the video from the Wi-Fi Sci-Fi Live event. It was just the relativity episode, and I have put that out into the interwebs for people to find and explore and enjoy. Uh, I have not linked to it from the relativity website, and I need to do that. But um, I'll promise anyway that by the time people hear this, they can go to relativitypodcast.com and follow a link straight through and to see, to see Clarence Brown, Kyle Jones, myself, Scotty Moore, Scotty and <laughs> and to hear Shannon Perry who who plays a, a, a smart ass computer on Oz9 playing our um, considerably more restrained computer on relativity which has always been a synthesized voice before but I think would you back me up on this gentleman she nailed it Beautiful. Oh, Academy Award winning voice actor <clears throat> extraordinaire yeah so, yeah, she's too brilliant for her own good. But anyway, but yeah, uh, check it out. A mini, I, I, I was calling it a mini episode, but it actually was long, it was as long as any of the regular episodes. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, in which good old Dr. Mason insists on doing something that's even stupider than the things that he usually insists on doing. So, um, and there's nobody there to try to stop him except Marcus. Yes. Poor Marcus. Poor Marcus. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. That was totally a lot of fun. And, you know, any time that we can bring in voices, um, it's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure talking to you guys. This is so much fun. But, you know, I want to say, because this may be our last recording that we have before the new year, as we start into doing our final, our Doctor Who of the year. I don't know if we'll have any more Doctor Who's for 2021. I'm not sure when the next series is coming out. But that being said, for yeah. everyone who has joined us as a guest on Discussing Who in 2020, thank you. Your time is appreciated. And also for everyone listening, your time is appreciated. This is a longer episode, but guess what? It's going out on Christmas Day. So this is our gift to ourselves, to you, to the audio verse, or however you want to call it. So <laughs> Lee and Clarence, thank you. Merry Christmas, season's greetings, Happy New Year, Happy New Year, everyone. And with that, guess what? We will be back next time. You've been listening to the Discussing Network. Find out more at discussingnetwork.com.